This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, good morning, good afternoon, wherever the case may be. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Weber, our last show of 2018. And uh, here, wishing you all a a great new year. And uh, anyway, we're here for you, here for your pets. Want to talk pets? That's what we do here at Pet Life Radio, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And uh, advice is free. (laughs) You can't beat free. So uh, anyway, if you want to get a hold of us, you can either just give us a call at 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, as we like to say, log on to Pet Life Radio. That's like PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Shows. Scroll down to Ask the Vest with Dr. Jeff. And you will have there a Google Hangout link. And just click on it. You can join us live here with your pets in hand, of course. And... um. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. And, of course, uh, you know, uh, we come prepared all the time because we know that a lot of you are shy out there. I don't. I wish you weren't so shy. Just come on and, and join us. And as I, I mentioned again and again, and you're going to hear a lot more of it over the, uh, the coming upcoming year, and that is that I want to just mention that telemedicine, telehealth is really starting to catch on in veterinary medicine as it has in human medicine, I mean, as I say, in human medicine, 2016, 850,000 Americans used a telemedicine app for themselves. 2017, three and a half million. So uh, that's what's happening. It's convenient. It's less expensive. And many of the times that you think you just need a question answered to go to the vet, you know, drive and park and, and wait in the lobby. This way you can get a hold of a veterinarian right away and uh, talk to them. And so anyway, just get used to it. So here's a great practice for you is you can do a live video chat with me, talk about your pet, talk about a problem, and we'll, we can take it from there. Anyway, as you know, I do want to talk about some things that, uh, well, first of all, just quickly, uh, we'll talk about New Year's and uh, leftover foods that we probably had from all the holidays and that we want to definitely keep them away from our pets, the chocolate, the nuts, the raisins, the grapes, the you name it, uh, the alcohol even. Save that for you and just make sure you continue to give your dog stuff or your pet stuff that they are allowed to eat, they should eat. Perusing the uh, American Vet Med Association Smart Brief and the American Animal House Association newsletters, a um, couple of stories just to, uh, to share with you from the week. This is something that was near and dear to me, that two dogs were rehomed, listen to this, after a veterinarian refuses to put these two dogs to sleep, to euthanize these two dogs. They were requested by the owner. They were healthy. The veterinarian refused. Instead, he took the dogs and he sent them to a worked with a rescue group. They were both rehomed within a week. And um, believe it or not, we get requests. I I wouldn't say as much as we used to, but there are often, I've had them myself, requests to put a dog to sleep that really doesn't need to be put to sleep. Put a pet to sleep, dog or cat. We call it convenience euthanasia. Well, God, you know, I've been, I'm moving to an apartment and, and they don't allow pets. I just know my pet will not be happy with any other, to be in another home. So I just think it's best to put him to sleep. I mean, you believe it or someone in the, in the dog is having a tough time house training. So instead, I think the best solution is let's put him to sleep. I mean, we hear these stories, uh, as I said, fortunately, less than we used to. I mean, I remember back years and years ago, we called this convenience euthanasia. But kudos, hats off to this veterinarian who refused and instead had these uh, these dogs rehomed. We had one uh, about, oh, maybe five years ago. This woman was convinced the dog should be put to sleep. We tried to talk her out of it. We would work with the dog. No, no, no. So we finally said, I'll tell you what. 
you're willing to pay X amount of dollars for the euthanasia and the cremation. You pay us that. You'll sign the dog over to us and we will take care of it. We will fix it. At, at, obviously, it cost us a lot more to fix it than what she paid us, but that was okay. So we took care of the dog, was hospitalized for a couple of days, sent it off to one of the rescue groups. Sure enough, that dog, it was, it was a little poodle. Maybe it was six years old at the time. And uh, so literally, this dog is in a great home. But you would think that at the end of all this, just <laughs> this is human nature. This, this is what drives me nuts. So you would think that after that, this person would have been so appreciative because we took off her the burden away from her. She didn't have to worry about anything. Uh, it cost her way less than it would have had to cost to fix the dog. I mean, way less. And instead of being thankful, she wrote a Yelp review like two days later, blasting us for making her feel guilty about wanting to put her dog to sleep. <laughs> Do you believe it? So it was quite comical around our office, but uh, we know we did the right thing. So a um, uh, couple things, New Year's also fireworks, nothing like 4th of July. We know that, but just be really careful. Make sure your dogs are secured. Make sure they have their microchips. Make sure they have their ID tags. Um, if you know in advance that they really freak out with fireworks, you might want to talk to your veterinarian. Tomorrow, you have a day between New Year's Eve and uh, tomorrow morning. Get them into the vet for some either a medication, something like the Calms Vest, or you, you could stick with you know, natural supplements, valerian, passionflower, chamomile, California poppy, hops. All these things have a natural calming effect on pets. So um, anyway, just think about that. But uh, don't have your pets freak out, but you keep an eye on them. Here's a scary, scary fact. The researchers at Cornell University School of Veterinary Medicine, one of the top veterinary institutions in the world, actually found metals, trace metals, aluminum, chromium, molybdenum in commercial pet foods, dry pet foods. How it gets there, who knows? The levels are still not dangerous, but they are higher than what it would be expected to be found in, interestingly, human foods. So apparently there's some residues from the big vats, whatever it is, when they mix and, and make these commercially prepared foods that does, I guess, get off and, and, and end up in the food. But obviously still more research needs to be done. But at certain high levels, um, these, these metals can have a deleterious effect on health. So the conclusion is more research is needed, of course, but it's kind of freaky when you think about it. Right? That even not only for our pets, but when we eat certain things, we are eating some potentially at a much higher levels toxic metals. I'm sure when you bite into that food, you're not thinking that you're eating aluminum or chromium or molybdenum, but it, it does happen. This is something that's really cool. The United Kingdom has, has caught on to what many states here in the U.S. have already done, including here in California, and that is no more pet stores selling puppies and kittens. Basically, needing to wipe out these puppy mills. And the best way to do it is don't give them a vehicle in which to sell these puppies and kittens that are being bred under poor conditions. So if you want to get a new pet, you have to go to a shelter, to a rescue organization, or a legitimate breeder. So anyway, it's great, I think, that now the whole country, um, England, has caught on to this too. So I think that's really cool. No more puppies and kittens from pet shops. And uh, as I like to say, adopt, don't shop. And uh, this is a great way. This will get you to adopt a pet instead of trying to buy one from somewhere. As I mentioned, holiday leftovers, keep them for you. Don't let your pets eat them. That's important. Oh, another food recall. I know this is going to be a shocker because how many times do we talk about this on a regular basis? But another raw food company, it is called Columbia River Natural Foods, basically expanded its recall now to include their frozen raw foods because of salmonella. 
because of listeria, because of Campylobacter. And so it is an interesting how many stories we hear, we read about this. And these are legitimate sources. You know, there's no particular attack on any one thing, but this is one of the conditions, one of the problems we have with many of the raw food companies, even frozen raw food, raw diets, and um, something you just, I just want people to know about. And as I say, if you've been feeding your pet a particular raw food diet, and it's doing great, and has been doing great, don't switch. I'm just saying one needs to be aware. And in fact, there was a sort of a recap, one of the, a veterinarian, a colleague, has put sort of a recap of, of kind of cool things that have happened in 2018. So here's the 2018 improvements in veterinary medicine. First of all, the canine influenza outbreak triggered more widespread vaccination because of it. And finally, it has been stabilized. We are seeing less and less cases. And again, I don't think this is yet a core vaccine, something that you should speak to your veterinarian about, depending on the area you live in. And more importantly, it's about lifestyle. And if you frequent facilities, whether it's a doggy daycare, whether it's an agility course training facility, whether it's a boarding facility, a grooming facility, where regularly attending that has a lot of dogs coming in, many of them now are requiring the influenza vaccine. And it's really not a bad thing. I think we need to just be aware that it is is a problem. It's more serious than just a Bordetella, uh, which is the typical respiratory bacterium that seems to affect a lot of the, the kennel cough bacteria, let's say. But the influenza virus is there. There are a couple of strains. The vaccines are usually bivalent, meaning they will take care of the H3N2 and the H3N8. So anyway, they're just so you know that uh, they're out there. But it is an important disease to talk to your veterinarian about. As I said, it's very situational. I wouldn't say it's a core vaccine yet, but uh, many people live in areas where they're seeing a lot more cases. Therefore, I would absolutely recommend it. Check with your vet. Here's one, again, we just sort of talked about it, but this, this is, again, independent sources. No one's blasting anybody in particular. But dietary research has shown that trendy boutique diets are not necessarily any better or healthier than some established formulas that have been in the market for years. And here it is. Raw diets can cause serious infections. So one thing I should just add, in all fairness, it's really not necessarily the problem with the raw diet manufacturers, okay? The problem is our pets, our dogs, the intestinal tracts of a domesticated canine for hundreds, hundreds of generations is so different than what it was when these ancestors were out in the wild. So yes, when I hear the argument, well, God, yeah, you know, I mean, the wolves, I mean, they, they would tear an animal apart. They would eat the whole thing and, and they never got sick. Yeah. First of all, we don't know if they didn't get sick. Secondly, we do know is that their intestinal tract flora, their own gut bacterium, which actually work on this, their immune systems were able to handle those bacteria at that time. That's not the same anymore. So now you're taking a different subject, which is a domesticated dog and feeding raw diets it just may not be a good match. As I said, there are some companies out there that have some sort of step in their manufacturing process that can you know, kill or eliminate these bacteria. And if that's the case, that's great. So anyway, just do your homework. That's all I'm asking. Do your homework, talk to your veterinarian, read up on it. But you know, again, from an independent source like this, talking about some of the changes, I think that's, um, that's pretty established. That's, I think it's important information. Now, there's a, a new NSAID, and NSAID is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. You know, we've all had our good ones that we've used over the years, and I still do. You know, the carprofen, uh, the, the meloxicams. There's one, the trade name is Galaprant, which is it's more expensive. But if you have pets that 
are known to have certain intestinal problems or liver disease, this new one seems to be a little easier on their liver. So again, something to talk to your veterinarian about. Again, as I always say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you're using or been using some of the others without incident, you don't need to switch to something that's way more expensive. But if you have a a certain condition, a certain animal that has a problem with NSAIDs, this one might be a good choice. And also, there's a new local anesthetic out there. It's called Noceta, and it is a bupivacaine, which has been out for a long time, which is a long-acting. What they do is they put it in like these liposomes. And so it now lasts for up to 72 hours. So if you have um, an animal that just, for example, went through a, a very difficult procedure, orthopedic procedure or something, you can use this local anesthetic injectable, it's only injectable, into the area, and it can provide three days of some pain relief or at least helping with the pain relief. So that's kind of cool too. So what's in store for us in 2019? Who knows? But obviously, the research institutions, the veterinary schools across the country are doing what they can to kind of help looking to help our pets. I do believe telemedicine and telehealth is going to become much more common as we approach 2019. So for all you millennials out there that don't like to get in the car, but like to pick up the phone or go on your phone and just click on that that app, you're going to love, you're going to love this one. All right. So that's our break time. Here we are. So don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk about disc disease in dogs. We have, you know, typically it's always been something we always thought about with, with dachshunds. One of the new big players in town is one of my favorite, the French Bulldog. And uh, we're going to talk about the do's, the don'ts, when surgery is needed, when is surgery isn't needed, and how fast we need to attack it when it becomes a surgical disease. So anyway, don't go away. We're right back after these short messages. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Today's episode is sponsored by Hanover Square Press and the secret language of cats. How to understand your cat for a better, happier relationship by Suzanne Schatz. Have you ever wondered what your cat is saying? In the secret language of cats, Schatz offers a crash course in cat phonics to help you crack the cat code. Perfect for the fans of the lion in the living room and the inner life of animals. The secret language of cats by Suzanne Schatz is available for purchase today. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Liquor Chops, get the third bottle free. New improved Liquor Chops with omega-6, omega-3, vitamin E, and now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. And dogs love it. Try Liquor Chops. Buy two, get one free. This is Henry Lukasiewicz for Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet and welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Rubin here. Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Before the break, we talked about um, something called disc disease. Now, just like people, 
animals can have disc problems and they can it's sort of like throwing out their back you know that person that bends down to to pick up a package and all of a sudden oh they, they, they grab their back and and so as with uh, people dogs can either actually partially rupture a disc it can put some pressure on a cord they can pull a muscle that also and it you know early on when you pull a muscle real badly in that area it feels the same way it's extremely painful but with muscle pain, when you have that, you don't usually get any kind of neurologic dysfunction at the same time. It just hurts. But with this disease, you can get the pain and some sort of neurologic dysfunction. And there are a number of types of discs. We have the type 2 disc, which is much more common. And that's where the disc kind of ruptures a little bit and puts a little pressure on the annulus. The annulus is a ligament that sits on the floor of the vertebral canal and almost like a protective coating. And so the disc bulges up at the annulus. It pushes the annulus up into the cord in you know, many different degrees of seriousness. Sometimes it's just minor, you get a little pain. Sometimes it's greater. Then you have to have a type, type 1 disc. A type 1 disc is what's called the explosive disc. That's where the disc ruptures through the annulus with such force. It actually breaks through. And now the disc material is in the spinal canal itself putting a lot of pressure, sometimes destroying, sometimes sadly permanently destroying the uh, spinal cord. And those are the dogs that have some sort of either paresis, which is like a partial paralysis. There's some nerve dysfunction, but they can still feel, they can still move to a full-on paralysis. Typically, classically, we would see this mostly in dachshunds, these long back dogs, some Jack Russells, you know, any corgis, oh, corgis are well-muscled, so it doesn't happen as often, but those short, long dogs. Then, Lately, we've been seeing some of this, well, we've been seeing a lot of this in French bulldogs. Now, typically, a Frenchie, uh, if you were to take an x-ray of their spine, they have some interesting, what we call vertebral anomalies at the thoracolumbar area, and where their vertebrae are sort of crunched together, where they're, instead of being sort of sloped, it comes like up, it comes up like this, like a point, like a tent. And, you know, really, really, it's pretty typical. But interestingly, talking to surgeons that do the back surgeries, when a Frenchie comes up with the pain, the lameness, the paresis, or even the paralysis, interestingly, very rarely is the culprit disc in that region that they already have their anomaly. So it's kind of weird. So it's either going to be in front of it, or it's usually going to be behind it in more of the lumbar area. So discs can happen in anywhere really along the spine. We have what we call cervical discs. Those are in the neck. That's where the dog, I'm sure you've seen them if you ever had them. The dog just does not want to look up. It moves. It's almost like a person who hurts their neck. You don't want to lift your head. It hurts to lift your head. So when you see they lift their head just to a certain point, and then their eyes will look around. They can't move right, left. They can't move right. They can't look down. That's using a big clue that the location of the disc is cervical. Then you have, we don't get a lot of discs along the thorax, but it's possible. More along the TL, the thoracic lumbar area. You know, there are 13 vertebral bodies in the dog. So let's say T11, T12, T13 to L1, L2, L3. That's a really common area in most dogs, except not in the Frenchies, because that's where their anomaly is. Then you go farther back, T3, T4, 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 in the lumbar area. And then finally, we have something called lumbosacral instability, called equina syndrome. And that too can cause a lot of pain, sometimes surgical. So I guess the question is, knowing that's what's going on in the disc, when does it become a surgical problem and when is it a medical problem? Fortunately, more times than not, these are medical problems. And, you know, typically the most important thing that one can do is rest. 
these animals should not move. And how we know is whether it's you know considered surgical or not is we actually have to reevaluate them. We evaluate them for the source of the pain. If it's a neck, it's pretty easy. We turn the neck in all sorts of different directions, up, down, right, left, and see what kind of resistance, what kind of pain we get. And along the spine, we can look for what we call paresthesia, where we have a almost like a referred pain along the spine. And also we look neurologically. Are we getting uh, paniculus, certain reflexes we look for? We look for what we call CPs, conscious proprioceptive deficits. That's where, and I'm sure you've seen maybe your doctor do this when he was examining one of your pets, takes like a back foot and puts it on the top of the foot, not the bottom, but the top. And the dog realizes it and immediately will fix it. Well, so they'll take it and write it, take it and write it. When they don't, when they're just happy leaving it there, that's a problem. Also, we look for reflexes. Sometimes they become a little hyper-reflexes, sometimes no reflex at all. Uh, oh, and the last thing we look for is what we call deep pain. And I'm sure, again, you've seen your veterinarian do this before. In a, in a case like that, you kind of squeeze the toes really hard, sometimes actually taking an instrument. And if the dog pulls it away, at least there is some sensation. Now, the pulling could be reflex, but at least they're feeling it. Whereas if there's no feel, you could squeeze on that toe and there's nothing and the dog cannot even stand for a second. They collapse right away. Now we know we have paralysis and now we know that is much more serious. And when we see that or anticipate that, now we're looking at a very short window, maybe 48 hours to get that dog into surgery. So I just interestingly had a case the other night. I got the call, a Frenchie. First, it was very stiff and sore, didn't want to move. And then within a, an hour or so, it got to the point, even though they rested the dog, they did everything right. He was like down. He couldn't even stand up. I asked him to squeeze the toes as hard as he can, the husband, and he, no, no response. I said, with no response, and he can't get up, he can't stand her, as it was a female, you got to get her in. I sent her to the emergency facility. It also was a big surgical facility. Sure enough, they did a CT the next day uh, in the morning, and she was on the surgery table the next morning. So sometimes, depending on the location, and the symptoms, a doctor, a surgeon, a neurologist can localize the disc just based on their exam. But most times that a surgeon, especially if it's in the lumbar area, is going to go in surgically, they're going to want to do some sort of study, probably a CT or an MRI, just to help localize the disc or discs. Sometimes there's more than one. So when they go in to do the repair, then at least they'll, they know exactly where they have to go in. Uh, interestingly, with cervical discs, they can also go in what they do, a ventral. They go in from the bottom, from the neck, and it's called a ventral slot, and they can sort of remove the, the offending disc material. And sometimes when it comes to the back, they usually have to do some sort of what we call laminectomy and go in that way to access the spinal cord, remove the disc material itself. Now, one thing about x-rays, of course, when we read x-rays, your veterinarian, I'm sure, has talked about some what we call calcified discs. Interestingly, when a dog is exhibiting signs of neurologic dysfunction, pain, because of a ruptured disc or potential ruptured disc, and the doctor takes the x-rays and sees calcified discs, those are probably not the discs in question that are causing today's problem. They're already calcified. They may have ruptured a little bit in the past, but when you see them as calcified discs, they're old because it takes a long time to calcify. So it's unlikely that a calcified disc is causing yesterday's problem that came on suddenly. So what we look to more for is we look for certain what we call narrowing. We look for some space in between the disc spaces. We look at what the norms are. And if we see two discs that are like sort of coming together that are very narrow, then, of course, we think, ah, this might be the culprits. So these are all things that we kind of have to evaluate. 
But the key is if your dog, especially that happens more in dogs than cats, if your dog starts exhibiting pretty severe, sudden pain, you do not want to sit on it. Okay. You, definitely something you want to have your veterinarian see sooner than later. And I, again, I can't stress enough that the, the time is important because if we have a paralysis and there's no deep pain, these dogs definitely need to be seen fairly immediately. Now, if they're, it's just paresis, they kind of wobbly a little bit. They look like they're drunk. They're, they're ataxic. We call that. Um, they can, they can walk, but they kind of uh, are clumsy. They have depressed CPs, conscious proprioceptive, but they still can't fix. Then we're looking at a case that can probably be handled medically. And for those, uh, the old fashioned way, and still I'm old fashioned, so I still use steroids. But you know, I guess the newer studies coming out now are saying that some of the better non-steroidals that are safe for pets. So don't ever go to a cabinet and start pulling out ibuprofen or stuff like that. You got to talk to your veterinarian. But some of the NSAIDs work just as effectively, of course, they're maybe a little safer on the GI tract and then the high dose steroids. But there are there's medical therapy, the key to medical therapy, in addition to the non-steroidals or steroidals, whatever your veterinarian chooses to use, strict, 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 we call it cage rest. That's so hard for people to do. But literally put them in a small space, very small space, pick them up to go outside, pick them up to this, no unnecessary movement. It's like a, a doctor saying to a patient on the human side, I said, here's a choice. You can either jump into bed and don't move for two weeks, or I'll see you on my surgery table. It's, it's very similar. So we got to be very, very careful. And when the doctor says cage rest, they pretty much mean cage rest. It's the difference between having a pet that can ever walk again or a pet that needs surgery versus a pet that's going to do just okay if you follow the instructions. So a lot to handle. But if you have animals, if you have breeds, if you have your Frenchies, do know that this is a possibility. It does happen. It happens fairly often. And unfortunately, many of them can respond to medical therapy, but many of them, like the one I just, my patient from the other night, absolutely had to go straight into surgery. So it does happen. Dachshunds, keep them lean. That's one thing I should add. Overweight dogs, long back dogs that are overweight are at much greater predisposition to disc disease and disc rupture. So when you have those dogs that we know are on the list of dogs that seem to have this problem, Keep them on the lean side. That's good for their own. That's, I mean, it's better anyway, but it's certainly when it comes to the backs, it's for their own health and well-being. Anyway, to everybody out there, have a wonderful, safe, fun New Year's, and welcome. I'm glad you're here for our last show of 2018. We'll be here next Sunday, our first Sunday of 2019. Happy New Year to all of you. See you the next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.